Masechet Kiddushin, Daf Samech Vav, the main topic is how much do we give credibility to one witness? We start with Abaye, who has three statements about this topic. Amar Abaye, Amar lo ayad echad achalta chalib v'hala shotek ne'eman. One witness comes and says, uh, you ate forbidden fat. Right, he, the guy ate something, let's say by mistake, and uh, he maybe he didn't re- so he didn't realize. But this witness says, "Oh, you ate that piece of meat that was in the in the fridge. That was chaylib. The guy that actually ate it was quiet. So we uh, we uh, uh, believe the witness. Uh, he didn't. The guy didn't say no. It's not. Um, he didn't say yes. It is either. So we believe one witness." And in fact, we have a Mishnah that teaches the Baraita. That sorry, it is a Mishnah in Masechet Keretot that teaches the same thing. If someone a witness says you ate Chaleb, and the person says no, I did not. Patur, he does not have to bring a korban hatat. The punishment for eating chilib, beshogeg, uh, is a korban hatat. He denies it. He says, I know what it is. I, I, I bought it. I, uh, I, um, I, I, I took this meat. So I know it's not chilib. He doesn't have to bring it. So we can infer from the Mishnah that the only reason he doesn't have to bring a korban is because he said, no, I didn't need it. If he was quiet, then the one witness would be believed. Regarding a korban, you can't just bring korban chotat because you feel like it, or from safek, I'm not sure what it is. If you're not sure what it is, you said a uh, 50% chance, I, I think this is, might be kosher, or it might be hayadeb, then you have to bring an asham talui, different korban. You only can, can bring, a, you, only, you have to bring, and you only can bring a korban chotat if there is evidence, or you know yourself, or some evidence, that you did in fact sin. So there, this so the one witness here is uh, is uh, believed for to require and allow this person to bring a korban hatat. If not, if someone brings a korban, a korban hatat when he doesn't have to, then it's not actually korban, and he is slaughtering cholin, an unconsecrated animal, in the azara, which is a very serious sin. Okay, so this is a proof. Uh, this is statement number one, where we believe one witness regarding um, a prohibition like eating chaleb. Second law is we're going to see why we need all three of these laws. A witness comes and says, "Listen, this food that you have that you think is tahor is actually tameh." This could make a big difference if it's for terumah or kodashim and it's tameh, then it can't be can't be eaten. Or if it's just other food, um, a, a kohen or a, a, anyone who wants to eat it betahara uh, now can no longer eat it while he's tahor. If he eats it, it'll become tameh, or he'll have to wait till he becomes tameh otherwise in order to eat it. So. This degrades the value of it. Um, uh, it could be a, a prohib- it could cause a prohibition. In fact, if it's tiruma and he eats it anyway. Now, uh, the one witness says, right? I, I saw some uh, dead mouse touch it, and it's tameh, and the owner of it is quiet. We believe the one witness. And here also we have a Mishnah that, that, we, that proves this. If one witness says this, is, this stuff became Tameh, and the owner says, no, it did not become Tameh, Patur uh, uh, is exempt from punishment. Let's say it was Tirumah and he ate the Tirumah. The only reason why the witness is not believed is because the, he was contradicted by the owner. But if the owner was quiet, then the one witness would be believed.
That's the second case. Someone comes and says, this ox that you own over here, it was involved in a sin uh, uh, of bestiality and therefore cannot be used as an offering. And the owner is quiet. Now, he doesn't agree. He doesn't, agree. He doesn't deny that one witness is deemed credible and you can't bring use that animal as a korban. And here also, we have a Mishnah that backs us up. The Mishnah says, if you have um, a, an animal that a sin was done with it, bestiality, or that it killed someone um, and the, the animal, um, uh, and there was one witness that uh, no, that that saw this happen, or if the owner himself testifies that this happened, um, uh, then that the one witness or the or the owner is deemed credible. Now, when it says one witness, what what did the owner do? If the owner agreed, well, then that's the same as alpibalim. If the owner said yes, in fact, right, I saw that this uh, did this thing, then um, it's, it's the same law twice. Why would the Mishnah say the same thing twice? Rather, it must be that the owner was when it says edehad. That's the case where the owner was quiet. That's case one. Or if the owner admits and says, yes, it was true. So you see here that when one witness says something and the owner uh, is quiet, that the one witness is believed. So there you go. Three statements uh, by Abaye that says that in all these three cases, one witness is trusted. I need all three. I only had the first one. If not, that the person himself, the owner, was uh, was convinced that in fact it was Haleb, um, uh, that he would not um, he he would not bring an a korban hatat. So in that case, it's clear that by his uh, silence and bringing a korban hatat, it's clear that he is admitting that to it's kind of like almost like an admission because it would be a, t- a sin on his part to bring uh, if he if he's not guilty to bring a an animal that's that would be cholin because if he doesn't have to bring a korban hatat, then it's cholin. So to bring an animal to the azara would be a sin and so therefore by not being quiet and bringing the animal that's a kind of admission so in that case it's see it's it's easy to argue that we believe the one witness because the owner himself is even doing something that otherwise he would get in trouble for however in the second case where the witness says oh this food that you think is tahod is actually tameh maybe he's a quiet only not because he's admitting that it's really Tameh. He's just thinking, you know what? I'll eat it when I'm Tameh anyway. Um, eventually, you know, he's Tahor now. Maybe he's being careful to be Tahor for some reason. He's going to bring Korban. He says, listen, next week I'm going to become Tameh because um, I have to go to a cemetery or whatever reason. And so he's going to become Tameh anyway. He says, you know what? I'll just leave it and I'll eat it when I'm Tameh. So, and I'm not losing anything. So he doesn't bother to contradict the witness. Uh, he doesn't mean that he agrees to the witness. So, Babaya has to teach, don't think that, even here, where you might think that his, uh, his being quiet is, is not admission, he says, no, it, it, even here, it's in fact, it is in fact like an admission, and we believe the one witness in this case as well. 
And if you only told me this second case, but not the third, I would say the reason why we believe the one witness in this case is because the guy's quiet and his being quiet does mean something because he's losing out when he's tahor. When the witness comes and says, this food is tameh, that means when the guy is tahor, he's not able to eat it. Now he's going to have to go find other food. So his, his being quiet um, suggests that the witness is correct. But regarding when the witness says, this ox that you had sinned and therefore you cannot use it as a sacrifice, the guy might say to himself, well, I'm not, I wasn't going to um, sacrifice all of my oxen, right? I wasn't, so I won't sacrifice it, even though in his mind he disagrees with, uh, with the uh, witness. He's not admitting to it, but he's not going to bother to come and, and say, no, you're wrong, bring proof, you bring proof. Where were you on that day? Where was your ox on that day? He's not going to bother because he's not planning on making it, a, making it a sacrifice anyway. And therefore, in that case, you might have thought that his, uh, his silence would not uh, help substantiate the one witness. And so Abayez Chidush is, even in that case where the, his silence is, does not substantiate the one witness very much at all because he, be, he, he might just be quiet because he doesn't care. Even in that case, we do believe the one witness um, with, uh, with the consequences that will follow. So that's why I need that each, each um, case is giving a greater Chidush Whereas the first one, his silence is very meaningful because most people wouldn't be silent um, in such a case because then they're going to have to bring uh, a korban and uh, they might they would sin if this wasn't true. So there his silence takes up a lot of the weight of the evidence. And uh, so there it's easy to say, well, I believe one witness. But even if his silence does not mean much because he's just probably silent because he doesn't want to bother, even then, one witness is reliable. Okay, so Abaye thinks very strongly that one witness is, is reliable, and we're going to see this um, uh, come up uh, in, the ne- in the following discussions as well. So now we have a question. What if um, one witness comes and says, this guy's uh, wife was uh, committed adultery? Um, one witness says that, and the husband is quiet. Now, what do we say? Do we believe the one witness and he has to divorce his wife and other consequences that will follow? Consistent with was his approach above. If one witness says something and the other and the guy, the litigant, is quiet, we believe the one witness. Ravan says, no, this is a matter about forbidden relations. And we have a general rule. Whenever it comes to forbidden relations, you need at least two witnesses to establish a fact. Amad Abaye, mina amina la. Abaye says, what is my proof that one witness is believed? We're going to see a few stories coming up uh, that will prove one side or another. And so this is a story um, that about a blind man. He used to review Mishnayot in front of Shemuel. And one day, he, uh, he came late. He was, he was not around. Um, so Shemuel sent a messenger, go to his house, see what happened to him. The messenger went down one, one way, and meanwhile, the blind man came a different way, and so they missed each other on the way. Then the Shalech eventually, since he didn't see him on the way, went all the way to his house. 
When he got to his house, he saw something that uh, she didn't want him to see, apparently. And he came all he came back to the to the bet uh, midrash, and he said, "I'm sorry to report, but uh, this uh, his this blind man's wife committed adultery. Right? I saw I saw her with someone." Um, when I when I went to, to when I went there, Atale kamei demoshemuel amar lei mehman lach zil apeka veila la tapik. So the blind man went to Moshemuel and said, "What do I do? We have one witness. Uh, you know, is he? Do we believe him? And I have to uh, divorce my wife or not?" And Moshemuel answered, "If he's if you believe him, if he's trusted by you, then you have to divorce her. But if you don't trust him, then you don't have to." Now, here's Abaye's clincher uh, to the proof. My love, When Moshemuel said to the blind man, if he's believed, if he's trusted by you, does that not mean that if he's trusted by you, that he's not a thief? Right? If you think that this witness is a reliable person in general, um, if he's a thief or gambler or whatever, then he would be uh, not, not a valid witness. But if you believe that he's a valid witness, uh, then you have to trust him and you have to divorce. It's meaning that one witness and here uh, the owner, the litigant is quiet. He doesn't know one way or another. He's like, okay, I, I would, you know, if you say so. So Abayah uh, says, listen, the only way you can uh, stay with your wife is if you, if you think that this guy is not trustworthy because he's, a, he's an invalid witness. But as long as he's a valid witness, he's not, he's not a thief, then he is believed and you have to divorce your wife. This supports Abaye that says one witness is trusted when the owner says nothing. And now that's a challenge to Ravah because Ravah says we don't trust one witness. You need two witnesses for Ravah. Ravah says, no, that's not what Abmoshemuel meant if he's trusted to you, like, you know, as a valid witness. What he means, what he actually means is, if this one witness is trusted by you like two, then you have to divorce her. Um, so you need two witnesses, but the, uh, the husband himself, if he uh, is convinced that his wife has committed adultery, then you don't need two witnesses. He saw it himself, or he knows himself, or he trusts this person like two witnesses, then the, if, then the oh, that means the, the husband is convinced, so then he has to divorce her. If you're not convinced, then don't divorce her. So the key is they're not convinced. Just because one witness came and said, he could be the most righteous man in the city. If you don't think he's right, then, uh, then you don't have to divorce her, meaning one witness is not credible. Sotavah says, actually, if you understand this statement correctly, you'll see that this, is, uh, this story um, fits very well, maybe even better, with my opinion. All right, so that's, um, that's uh, one uh, proof that uh, 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 Abaye tries to bring, and Rava answers. So Abaye says, okay, you know what? I have a, another proof that I can bring from the following long story, my famous story. Uh, King Yanai, this is Alexander Yanai, one of the uh, lead, uh, leaders of the Hashmonaim. Uh, he was a 
king but he sees mentioned called king here and he also also he considered himself kohen gadol in fact the hashmonai leaders they first made themselves kohenim gedolim and later on they took upon themselves in their dynasty they took upon themselves the title of king as well which is very problematic number one to be a kohen gadol you have to be from the proper lineage the lineage of sadok Sadok was a Kohen Gadol in the time of Shalomo. It went straight through the whole first Bet HaMikdash. And now, and second Bet HaMikdash, until the Hashmonaim, um, they took their own dynasty, which was not from the line of Sadok, and made themselves Kohenim Gedolim. So that's problematic, num- problem number one. Problem number two is when they made themselves kings. Kings are supposed to be from the line of Yehuda. Supposed to be a separation of powers between kings and Kohanim, and yet the Chashmonai uh, leaders made took upon themselves both. We're going to see here that they were the Chachamim criticized them for it, and this is one of the main stories that we see that criticism. So this uh, Alexander Yanai, who was we're going to see not a very uh, not a very favorable character. Um, he went and successfully conquered 60 cities. And he was so happy that he won. So he invited all the sages of Israel. And he said, our forefathers ate salty food when they were build, building the Bet HaMikdash. Uh, salty food might refer here to purslane. Um, uh, this is referring to most likely the building of the second Bet HaMikdash. Um, this, uh, this would be in the, around the year 100 BCE. Bet HaMikdash was built in 516 BCE, but they still had a memory of, after even four, five, 400 years that when they built the second Bet HaMikdash, they did it out of poverty. Uh, they barely had enough uh, economic and political support. It was very difficult for them to build the second Bet HaMikdash. In fact, the Bet HaMikdash at the beginning of the, the second Bet HaMikdash was a very uh, uh, unimpressive building, uh, so unimpressive that there was a disappointment to the elders who remembered the glory of the first Bet HaMikdash and saw the second one and they were crying, not, not being joyous like the young people were. Okay, so he says, listen, our forefathers, when they built the Bet HaMikdash, they were eating this uh, salty uh, food and uh, and so we uh, as now that we are rich because we uh, made all had all these victories uh, we are going to eat the same foods that they did but we're going to eat it on tables of gold right so we want to commemorate the their their strength and their perseverance that they got us to this place and now we're even more successful we're going to eat the similar foods that they did kind of like eating masa uh, poor man's food even uh, to remember the slavery even though now we're free, so we eat it in a celebratory way. Okay, so so far so good. There was one guy, uh, no good, scoundrel, scoffer, uh, had an evil heart, uh, didn't care about anything, irresponsible. His name was Elazar ben Poira. He just a troublemaker. Yanai starts talking to Elazar, talks to the king, and he says, you know, the, the uh, Pharisees, the hearts of the Pharisees are against you. You're sitting here within a party and they, they seem like they're celebrating with you and they're happy for you. But behind closed doors, they say negative things about you. They don't respect you. Umai says, so he says, how can I, uh, what, what should I do? The Yanai asks, Hakim lahem basish ben anecha. Hakim lahem basish ben anecha. He says, have them stand up and give you respect by going and wearing the seats that the Kohen Gadol wears. 
wears, right? And let you know, see how they act when you put on the seats and they'll have to stand up and give you kabod. So he did that. He put the seats on. And there was one person there, a Pharisee, Pharisee meaning one of the uh, uh, rabbi sages. There, in that time, there weren't officially a group called rabbis yet, but the Pharisees are the, the uh, intellectual predecessors of the rabbis, so we're conflating rabbis and Pharisees here. So you have this Pharisee Yehuda ben Gididiyah, who told, said to Yanai HaMelech, says Yanai, King Yanai, enough that you have the crown of, of king of monarchy. Okay, you're calling yourself king. All right, well, you know, we'll tolerate that, but leave the Keter Kehuna to the descendants of Aharon. He said, uh, this Yehuda ben Gedidya, right, enough, enough that you be king, but don't be Kohen. If, if to be a Kohen, you have to be from the lineage of Aharon. Now, the Chashmonaim were Kohanim. They were from the lineage of Aharon. Um, but this guy, he's, he's, he made a claim. People, there was a, a rumor that Yanai's mother was um, taken captive in Modi'in, and if someone is taken captive, then she is prohibited to marry a Kohen, which would make the child a Halal. Even if his father was a Kohen, it makes the child a Halal. So therefore, he's invalid to serve as a Kohen, certainly not Kohen Gadol. This is besides the problem that he's not from the line of the Kohen Gadol. In addition, he's a Halal. This is the claim of Yudah ben Gedidiah. So you see that the evil plan of Elazar ben Po'ira worked. Um, by having him put on the, the seats, this was, you know, already before, there must have been this rumor spreading around that this guy, he, he's that improper lineage. And then by having him put on the seats, this prompted Yehuda ben Gidiyat to say, enough is enough, right? Where enough we have to tolerate that you have one crown, you can't take the other crown either. Now, after that, he said that, they did an investigation. This is what's going to be key for our proof. Um, they and they investigated and they said it was not true that she his mother was not taken into captive and this was a false accusation and so the sages were expelled in rage uh, right the king said how dare you all claim uh, say this and say a negative thing about me as it wasn't even true and so the king is very angry at the sages now back to the troublemaker so said to the king oh, so the judgment of a common person if someone says slander about you and you say you know you say okay get, get out I'm angry at you right that would be for a, a react proper reaction for a common person who gets false slander but you are a king and Kohen Gadol that's all you're going to do to the to the Pharisees to the rabbis that's going to be your only punishment you got to instill fear in them Umayah says so king and I said what should I do and Elazar ben says if you listen to my advice crush them don't let them say don't let them get away with making up these false rumors about you 
now, commenting on this story later, Rav Nachman Ba'ishak says, you see that Alexander Yanai here became a heretic, became like a, a Sadducee. Uh, which in fact he did. He was allied, uh, allied with the Sadducees his whole life. This entire story is has a parallel in Josephus, and uh, the basic storyline is the same. Uh, some of the details are a little different. Um, and in, in fact, there also it says that Alexander and I sided with the Sadducees. So according to the Sadducees, they only believe in the written law, not the oral law. And so um, according to the Sadducees, all right, it's written there so someone else can come and read it. But what he should have said, if he was a true believer, meaning a Pharisee, uh, then he would have said, okay, fine, that's Rashi Bichtav, yeah, anyone can go read it. But the oral law, if you kill all the sages, then there'll be no more oral law. And he should have worried about that. So you see that he was, not only was he, you know, all these other problems, he was also a Sadducee and heretic. Now, Miyad Vatusas Hara'a, Aideh Lazar ben Po'iravi Hargu, Kol Chachme Yisrael. And immediately, back to the story, uh, evil arose, caught fire through Elazar ben Po'ira and spread, and the sages of Israel were all killed. And the world was empty from Torah until Shimon ben Shatach, a great hero, was able to come, and he happened to be the brother of Alexander Anai's wife. And he, through his brilliance and righteousness, was able to restore the Torah to its former glory. One thing he's, Shimon is known for is, um, he's mentioned Pekavot, he's also known for instituting universal um, uh, education for, children, for, for Jewish children. Okay, so this is that's the end of the story, and um, uh, uh, Josephus says that Alexander and I, at the end of his life, um, uh, uh, told his wife um, that she should shalom siyona malka. So listen, I followed the Sadducees; I had a hard time. You should follow the Pharisees if you want to be successful, and that's what she did. Okay, now uh, we only bring the story not because it, I mean it's an important story for history, but the Talmud is not primarily interested in just telling us historical stories but rather brings it here as a proof for one witness. So we ask, how did they, in that investigation, there was a rumor that Alexander Yanai's mother was taken captive, and then it was proven that it was not true. How did they prove that it was not true? And what was the original proof? If the original proof was two witnesses, said, we saw his mother became, got, was captive, and therefore, um, Yanai is a halal. And then two other witnesses come and say, no, she was not taken captive. So then, it's two against two. Why do you rely on the ones that say it's the, the, that she was not taken captive instead of the ones that says she was taken captive? So then there would not be a definitive a clarification of the matter. Uh, and in the story, it says they investigated and they said it's definitely not true. So it can't be that there was two witnesses. Rather, must be that 
that there was only one witness that saw her being taken captive. So one witness said, we saw that she was taken captive. Then when they did the investigation, they found two witnesses that says she was not taken captive. And uh, that's the reason why we overturned the one witness. What can we prove from here? If not for the two witnesses that supported Yanai, we would, we did believe the one witness. Abaya says, you prove from this long story that one witness that says someone is, uh, is um, committed adultery, taken captive is, uh, we suspect that that person, even against their will, committed adultery, and, uh, and therefore it would be a halal. So you see, one witness is in fact believed, and that supports Abaye. So what's Rava going to say to this? Rava le'olam tereu says, I can explain it according, if it was one witness, then one witness would not be believed. That's what Rava says, one was not believed. And here, what was the case? It was in fact two witnesses and two witnesses. And it's as Rav Banyumi said in different contexts that we're talking about Edeh uh, The first two witnesses came and said, listen, we saw that she was taken captive in such a place on, certain, on that day. The second set of witnesses come and say, you could not have seen that because you were with us on that day in a different place altogether. So the second set of witnesses invalidate the first set of witnesses and they're thrown out altogether. This is not a con- contradictory witnesses, but rather Dehazama uh, conspiring witnesses that do in fact negate it, negate it entirely. And so, yes, it could be two and two. Or an alternative answer is, as what Rabbi Yitzchak says, who said that um, they replaced the Yanai's mother with the maidservant. In other words, these enemies came and they said, okay, we're taking her, we're taking your mother captive. But then the, the uh, people around there were able to give them a maidservant and uh, they, I guess the captives didn't know the difference because um, they didn't know who Yanai's mother was. And so Yanai's mother was kept safe at home and they took, they took this other woman. Um, and so uh, since, uh, since that's true, even though, uh, there were, even though there were two witnesses that the captives took somebody, they were able to um, investigate and reveal that the person they took was not, was not Yanai's mother. And that's how they cleared the, um, the rumor. Okay, so that's how Ravah could answer that uh, proof. All right, Amadava, Mina Aminala. Now it's Rava's turn to say, What's the proof from my side that one witness is not believed? Ditnan, Amad Bishimon. Masebim Gurashel Diskim Beyavne, Shehaita Omedit Becheskat Shelema, Madeduvenim Set Hasera. A Baraita, even though it says Ditnan is actually a Baraita, a long Baraita, that's going to be the source of his proof. Um, there was an incident about a, reservo- a reservoir of diskim in Yavne, a certain reservoir, a, a pool of water, and everybody assumed that it had enough water in it, 40 se'a, to be a kosher mikveh, and people were using it. But then one day they actually measured it and found that it did not have 40 se'a, it was smaller, and therefore all the things that they used it for, all the people and, uh, and items that they dipped in it, that now people thought were tahor, actually, 
were Tameh. So what do we do? Call So all the things that were dipped into it in the past and people, um, so the Bitarfon said, they're good. We can assume it was good. It was There was a Hazaka. Someone measured it some time ago, whenever the last time they measured it was. So there was a presumption that it was kosher um, kosher mikveh and therefore everything until that point that they used it for is tahor and only from now on it's tameh this is like a sefer torah for example that someone writes and checks and is good has a chazakah that is good so therefore uh, everything that you read in it is good until someone finds a mistake now when you find a mistake you don't say well oh you know we have to go back and read every parasha that we used from in this uh, in this uh, torah uh, no you just stop uh, stop there at that pasuk you bring a new one and can continue from there, even though it's obvious that the Pesukim that you read just earlier um, were from a from an unkosher Sefer Torah, nevertheless use a chazaka. It was presumed kosher, so it, it keeps that presumption until the point at which it's found out that it's not kosher. That's a bitarfon. Rabbi Akiva, however, says, no, tameh. All the things that you did, that you used even before, retroactively now, we know are Tameh. Now we have a long argument between the two. Bitanfos says this mikveh had a chazaka uh, presumption that it was full and has 40 se'ah. So you're coming from out of safek. You don't know beforehand if it had or didn't have. So you're coming to say that all the things that were dipped in it beforehand are uh, are not kosher, but that's a safek. And you should not make assume that it's deficient when you're not sure about it. We should follow a chazaka until a time that you're sure, then that breaks the Chazaka. uses the same logic, but instead of focusing on the mikveh, focusing on the person that went and dunked in it. This person, he was for sure Tameh, right? We saw he, he went he went to and um, touched a Tameh item. So he had a chazaka being tameh. Now you, he went into the mikveh, and you're not sure if this if this mikveh was good or not. So out of a safek, you're assuming that you're going to take his chazaka of tumah and make it tahor. No, uh, uh, something uh, based on your principle that you just said that something that is in doubt cannot undo a chazaka. I, I agree. I say the same thing. This guy had a chazaka being tameh, and so. Um, a, a safek uh, t- uh, mikveh cannot change his chazaka, and that's why I say he is tameh. Amar bitarfon, mashallah omed makriv al gabi hamizbech, v'nodashu ben gidusha ben halusa, shaboda toke shara. Bitarfon, okay, I have an analogy that I can use to say it's good. Uh, so they have a kohen who thought he was a kosher kohen. And he's and he's in the middle of doing a service. He's there uh, 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 sacrificing an animal on the altar, and then someone comes in and says, "Oh, I just found out. In fact, your mother had been divorced, or your mother had been a halusa before she married your father, and therefore you are a halal." What do we say about that guy? Only from now on, he can't he can't serve. But anything he did so far is good. That's a law. We're going to see the source of that law in a few minutes. So so therefore, it should be the same thing here. We should follow the presumption that all the people that went to the mikveh are tahor until uh, until now. Uh, so we continue the presumption of of purity, just like we uh, assume the presumption of the kosherness. Uh, the, we assume the kosherness of the mikveh, just like we assume the 
the prior presumption of kosherness of uh, this kohen. Okay, I also have an analogy. If someone, a Kohen, who thinks that he's a good Kohen, is, uh, is in the middle of doing service and then finds out he actually has a blemish. Um, uh, someone sees him, I don't know, on, the, on his leg or something, wherever it is. He says, oh, look, there's a blemish here, which he didn't realize before. So his, every, uh, his earlier service is disqualified. So you don't have the same uh, special law that you have for Ben Chalusa, we're going to see uh, this discussed more in a minute, the distinction between them. So says, I can compare it also to a Kohen, where we, the, when we find that he was no good, then retroactively what he did before also we, is, is not good. Okay, so we both have analogies. I think it's more similar to Ben Gidusha Ben Chalusa. You think it's more similar to Ba'amum. Let's see which one is the better analogy. Let's look at other aspects of these laws and see. And if you, if we find that the, the, a, a person who went to Mikveh that, and we find out now that mikveh is no good, if it's more similar to the case of Ben Gerusha Ben Chalusa, which is my case, then we should say that he's kosher, until which time he, we know for sure he's not kosher, and that will prove my point. And if you can show me that um, this case is more similar to someone who has a blemish, in which case we retroactively realize that everything he did was not good, then I'll agree to you. So let's see. Can we find what what aspects can you find? Right. Let me. You prove to me that it's more similar to a ba'amum. Hitchili beki baladun mikveh pesulo biachid u ba'amum pesulo biachid. Vayochi ben gerusha ben chalusa she pesulo bishnaim. Rebbeki va says mikveh even if one witness says it's no good, it's already no good. And a ba'amum also is determined by an individual. If you want to know if something is a mum or not, you go to an expert. Expert, one expert, and he says, oh, yes, this is a mum, and this he's no good. So in both of these cases, one witness is sufficient. That's why it's more similar to Ba'amum. And so you don't bring me the case of Ben Gerusha Ben Chalusa in order to prove that someone is no good, that their, that their mother was, uh, was a Gerusha, and then he's a Halal. You have to bring two witnesses. Rabbi Akiva next brings another similarity between the two cases that he thinks are analogous. Uh, its deficiency is in its own body. It's a body of water and it's deficient. Um, and a Ba'amum, a Kohen, who has a blemish, also his body is in that way deficient. Um, and so those are similar to each other. And that's why he brings, uh, Rebbe Akiva is going to prove from one that just like a Ba'amum is from retroactively was no good, so too also the Mikveh retroactively, when we find that now it's no good, everything before also that was dipped in it is no good. And don't bring me a proof from where the problem is external, that uh, his disqualification is from uh, because of his parents, not because of his body himself. His body is fine. It's uh, something from that was caused by an outside uh, reason, and therefore that's less similar to those two. Anyone who separates from you separates from life itself, right? Because look how I, I challenged you and you gave me such great proofs. I made one analogy. I thought I was so brilliant. I made an analogy too. The 
ben chalusa that it's no good from only from now on. And you brought a different analogy, Balmum, that's now no good retroactively. And I said, well, how do you know it's more similar to that? And you brought me two proofs why the case of a mikveh is more similar to Balmum. And I didn't think of any of that. I agree. Uh, I changed my mind. And right, you were really a source of life of Torah. That's the end of the Braita. Now, all this was brought as a proof for Rava, who says that one witness, when the litigant is quiet, is believed. Where do we see that in this case? Doesn't say anything about whether he says, uh, where he, whether he denies it. Did the Quran deny it? Was he quiet? Rava says, I can prove. In the case of Ba'amum, where one witness is believed to say, yes, he has a blemish, what is the case? If the Kohen denied it, then we would, would, would we believe one witness? The Kohen says, I'm totally fine. So we would not believe the one witness if he's, if he's denying it. Rather, it must be that the Kohen was quiet. And, uh, okay, so that's that case. Now, uh, in order to make an analogy, the cases have to be equivalent. This is one that we, we, we really want to know because we want to know about case laws uh, regarding um, uh, So therefore, the, the case of Ben Gerusha Ben Chalusa also has to mean that the Kohen was quiet. And Rabbi Akiva said that mikveh is uh, mikveh is disqualified with one Balmum only also with one person that says it's no good. And Ben Gidusha Ben Chalosa, you need two people. So here we see that you need two people to say that the kohen is Ben Gidu, is, is a halal in the case where the kohen is quiet. We can derive from that that if there was only one uh, witness that said he is a halal and he was quiet, he would not be believed. That's the opinion of Rava. One witness and the litigant is quiet, the, the witness is not believed, right? And you see that here because it says you need two witnesses even though he is quiet. So that's Rava's proof. Abaye, Abaye said that one witness when the, when the litigant is quiet is believed. So how can he explain this? I can explain all the cases that, in fact, the Kohen denies. He says, I'm good. I'm a kosher Kohen. And you asked, why is the Kohen believed? Why is the witness believed if the Kohen himself denies it? Because we can tell the Kohen, okay, where's, where's the blemish? It's on the back of your leg. Okay, pick up your pants and let's see. Uh, well, we could see it for ourselves. And in fact, this is exactly what Rabbi Akiva means when he's comparing these two things that are a problem in their body. What's the difference if there's a problem in the body or whether parents or something else, internal, external, what's the difference? The difference is very significant. If there's a problem in the body itself, then we're going to believe one witness because this is something that we can easily verify ourselves. If someone says, this mikveh has, he measured it, mikveh does not have 40 se'ah, we're going to believe him because we can measure it ourselves. And same thing with the Kohen, we're going to believe one witness, even if the guy is jumping up and says, no, I don't have a blemish. Okay, you don't have a blemish? Show us. So since we can verify it, we believe one witness. And um, and so that's that's why in that case we believe him. Uh, we believe the one witness, even though he is denying it. But that's not true for Ben Gerusha Ben Halusa, where we cannot prove it. Um, and uh, we, we can't verify it. It's based on some you know documents. Where's the get? What happened? Some uh, Another place and another time. It's not easily verifiable. And that's why we require two witnesses in order to prove that he is Ben Gerusha Ben Halusa because we're talking about a case where the Kohen is denying it. The Kohen's denial in front of two witnesses 
we forget about the denial. We believe the two witnesses. But if it was only one witness, one witness would not be believed in this case because the Kohen is denying it. Uh, but this is no problem for Abaye. Abaye agrees. If the Kohen, one witness with the Kohen denying it, we don't believe the one witness. But if the Kohen was quiet, then one witness would be believed. So Abaye is able to explain this Baraita just fine according to his own opinion. And that's an important distinction between something that you can verify and cannot verify. All right, that ends that um, a section. Now we're just going to go back and bring proofs for a couple of the laws that were mentioned here. Uh, we mentioned that if someone is doing service and he thought he was okay, and then the, and then he realizes is he's a halal only from everything he did before is good, valid. Only from now on is not good. How do you know? What's the source? We're going to have three sources. It's told this is a blessing to Pinehas uh, that you will have the brit keunat olam for you and your descendants after you. Why do you have to add that? Add those words to teach me uh, whether your descendants are are kosher or even if they're not kosher now if he knows for sure if you know if you're for sure you're not kosher definitely halal then you can't serve so this is coming to include someone who thought he was kosher but then realizes he's not after it's okay everything you did until that point is kosher that's proof one this is a blessing to Levi. It says, Hashem should bless his substance and he should be successful. But we're making a play on words, like Holin, that even if you're a halal, and, but you thought you were okay, um, and, but in fact, you were re- now you realize you're really a halal, nevertheless, the things that you did, the service you, that you did already, will be acceptable. Um, that everything that you did until now. From now on, you can't serve, but whatever you did until now is okay, even though it was holin, you were halal. Third proof, regarding Bikurim, you have to bring the Bikurim to the Kohen, and the Pasuk says that will be in your days. That, what it needs is extra words. Are you going to Kohen, go to a Kohen that lives in a different century? Are you going to go in a time machine and bring it to that Kohen? Just say, come to the Kohen. Of course, the Kohen that is in your day. Rather means a Kohen that was valid on that day. As long as he was, va- he thought he was valid on that day, and even though he became a Halal afterwards, nevertheless, every all the service that he did until that point is fine. You can go to him. It's okay. Um, and that's the third proof for the Ben Girusha Ben Halusa. Everything he does until then is is valid. And this is not true for Baal Mum, How do you know that if someone realizes he's a, that he's a, um, a, Baal, a, a, a blemish, then everything he did retroactively until then is no good? We bring it from Pasuk back to Pinahas. It says, I'm going to give him a covenant of peace. You know, the word shalom, shalom, we can read um, without the vav as being shalem, meaning that he's only a valid kohen if he is 
perfect, unblemished, but if he's missing, he has uh, uh, something, uh, uh, a blemish, then he is, does not have a berit, uh, a berit of, of kehuna. He cannot serve at all, even retroactively what he did before is no good. We ask about this, hold on, in the Torah, it's written male with a vav, so you can't read it, shalem. So Rav Nachman says, no, it's okay, because that vav is broken. It's written in the Torah like this. Um, it has a, uh, uh, it's, it's written in, uh, in two halves to teach me that I can read it with the Vav, Shalom, that's the Peshat, or I can read it without the, the Vav to, to say Shalem only. If he is unblemished, then his service is good, is good. but if he's, uh, if he's blemished, then his service is not good, even retroactively. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen.